O Lord, as we've just sung, you are you are the name above all names, worthy to be praised, highly exalted, the only one whom our focus is to be on and needs to be on. And so I pray, God, for the next however many minutes where we can dive into your word, God. Help us to be undistracted. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we desire obedience. We want to live holy and righteous lives. We want to impact the community, God, that you have placed us in. You also tell us, apart from you, we can do nothing. So may we be a people fully reliant upon you for all that we need. And so I pray again, Lord, for the word that you have before us this morning. May it stir our hearts. May it pierce our hearts. That would cause for us to be different than when we walked in this morning. Help me, God, to be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's certain things, certain events in life that are unforgettable. I was looking back at some of those unforgettable moments of my life, and I thought immediately to 1989. I just moved here, 1989. And I was just hanging out at home, and all of a sudden the ground started shaking. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. It was the Loma Prieta earthquake. And I remember going to the TV, turning the knob, if you remember that. Okay? I go to the TV to turn the knob. And on the news, they had aerial shots of Sections of the Bay Bridge collapsed. Skyscrapers tumbling. Structures that were deemed indestructible. Fortified. Strong. Now helpless. As the ground beneath it shook. And of course, earthquakes are not uncommon right? in these parts. Not too long ago, we even felt some tremors here. In the Thomas. And the feeling that comes over a person when an earthquake comes is a feeling of anxiety, helplessness, instability. There's an uneasiness, right? A feeling of unknown. And we've been talking about joy for the last many weeks, and it got me to think does unshakable joy exist? You know, think of all your most precious moments and events in life. Your wedding day. Certainly a joy, but is it joy unshakable? How about when the children were born? There's certainly joy, but is it joy unshakable? Birthdays, graduations, Promotions at work, earning rank, 
achieving athletic success. There's certainly joy, but is it joy unshakable? And when I say this, is it to be like a downer or an Eeyore? But I can assume we all understand that as, as happy as and joyful as we can get with things of this world, we also realize that such joy and happiness can be shaken. I still remember my very first solo flight. It's many years ago now. There was so much training and build-up, and I was so excited. Pre-flight checks on the plane, taxiing, takeoff. Once I leveled off, I'll never forget this. I literally thought to myself, so what now? So what now? I can't turn on the radio. There's no one with me. I can't sit back and relax. I'm actually more anxious. I'm more stressed. Why? Because I don't want to crash. So what I did was I did a real quick touch and go in Modesto. There is an airport in Modesto, by the way. I didn't know that. But I got so anxious, I landed in Modesto, turned right around, came back to Sacramento. There was joy, but was it joy unshakable? You see, we know this. Whether you're a Christian or not here this morning, this is a distinctly human experience. Because eternity has been set in our hearts. We know there's more. We know there's satisfaction to be had. We've been made to worship, and we worship things that do not last, and this vicious cycle continues. But God, in His grace, shows us there's something better. Christ says, I'm better. Look at me. Come to me. Unshakable joy, dear church, is possible. It's only possible in Christ. This is why we focus on Him. This is why we exalt Him. This is why we point you to Him. This is why we sing of Him. He's the source of it. He's the sustainer of it. Because it is Him where our joy is found. It is in Him where our joy may be made full. And it is in Him, in His presence, where our joy is full. You know, it's not in a thing or some product. It's in Him. And He's everlasting. Psalm 16:8. when we, like David, set the Lord continually before us, He will be at our right hand and we will not be shaken. Our hearts will be glad and our glory will rejoice. And so we continue our Joy in Christ series. And specifically this morning, we will be diving into joy in the saving word of Christ. Joy in the saving word of Christ. Unshakable joy in Christ. It means this, dear church. It's unshakable joy in His Word. Unshakable joy in His Word. Turn with me to our text for this morning. Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah chapter 15. It's right after Isaiah. Right before Lamentations. One verse... For our time this morning, it's verse 16. So Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 
16. It says this. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And I propose to you this morning, dear church, that as we desire his word and we devour his word, the result will be delight in his word. Desire, devour, delight. And there's nothing better, dear church, than to pursue Christ and to grow in intimacy with him in this single-minded focus. This will be the incubator for us for unshakable joy. But before we dive in, I feel some context would be helpful. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, I think he would know a thing or two about discouragement, about disappointment. I think Jeremiah would know a thing or two about challenges and depression and frustrations and much, much more, and certainly would know the difficulties and temptations of a wicked nation. A nation who refuses to turn to God and he and the coming judgment. Jeremiah's task was simple. God gave him a word to preach. And it was a word of judgment. You know, all of what Isaiah prophesied all came to be during the ministry of Jeremiah. As one preacher put it, Isaiah prophesied at 11 p.m. And Jeremiah was the prophet of Judah's midnight hour. Perhaps the passage... That summarizes who it was that Jeremiah was dealing with can be found in chapter 5. So keep your finger there and turn to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 22, says this. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea. An eternal decree, so it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. You know, Jeremiah, where we get the oft-quoted verse, chapter 17, verse 9, says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart that should be stirred by God, the heart that should be stirred by His creation, willingly chooses to turn away from Him. You know, Romans 1, Paul echoes the same sentiment. Whereas through creation, God in His glory so clearly manifests. But yet sinful man with sinful hearts and darkened minds refuse to acknowledge Him. Refuse to give Him the worship due His name. And for 42 years, Jeremiah faithfully preached, carried out the work that the Lord had given him to a people who would not listen. You know, in the world's eyes, this is silly to keep going. Why keep going? There's no fruit. There's no growth. What's the point? Isn't all of this in vain? And I think it goes without saying that if anyone had an excuse to complain to be joyless, I think maybe we would, in our humanity, give Jeremiah a break. Oh, of the many lessons the Lord has given us through the prophet Jeremiah, and there's much we can learn insofar as faithfulness and steadfastness and obedience and 
trust and commitment and having the constitution to preach the word of God alone, the commitment to the truth of God's word, and much, much more. Jeremiah, though, shows us where the source of our joy can be found. It's in his word. And so our first point this morning, desire his word. Back to our text, chapter 15, verse 16. The beginning of that verse says this, your words were found. Jeremiah desired for God's word in the midst of challenges and trials and struggles and rejection and sadness. Jeremiah knew where to go. The word of God. And he went to go find it. He didn't sit and wait. He didn't sit idly by. Oh, no, he desired it. The annual state of the Bible survey from the American Bible Institute had some alarming I would say is an understatement. Alarming findings with regard to Bible reading trends in America. And maybe none of this would surprise you, or maybe it would surprise you. But simply put, laziness towards reading the Bible has only continued to increase. So roughly 50%. Now, if I just stop there, you may think, wow, 50%. That's that's actually not bad. If half the people are reading the Bible. Well, let me finish. Roughly 50% read the Bible three times a year. And only 10%, down from 15%, report daily Bible reading. Having said all this then, we shouldn't even really be surprised at all that the truth of God's word has become all but lost. The truth about Christ has been replaced with what we think Christ should be. It's been culturally accepted to live habitually in sin, to continue in sin so that grace may increase. Supposed Christian and religious leaders bowing down to mobs of homosexuality and transgenderism and all other forms of persuasive arguments that are meant to lead people astray. With regard to wokeness and social justice, as has been said, it didn't creep in and sneak into the church It was welcomed in to the church. No wonder why, because we stopped reading the Bible. We stopped desiring for truth. There's no longer, as God said in Jeremiah 22, there's no longer an awe of who he is. And man's stubborn heart and rebellious and darkened mind desired for other things. God's been replaced. There's a throne in my heart and there's someone else sitting on it now. Oh, Jeremiah desired his word because his word gave him not a false hope or wish as the world does, but gave him a true hope. Because of who this hope is founded upon. Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. starting in verse 17, says this. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, 
and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Oh, what confidence God's word gave him. What promise. And so he desires this. He desires his word ultimately because of the hope and reality of who it would eventually point to. Turn with me now. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. I love hearing Bible pages turn. It's like rain. Jeremiah 23. Verse 5 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah prophesied about Christ. The good shepherd, the savior that would come. His words testified about him. His word points to him. His word. His word that is a lamp to our feet. His word that gives us life. His word that nourishes and sustains and satisfies. You know, I just came back from a conference. And two of the keynote speakers, if you will, I thought perfectly summed up what happens when we pursue and desire things of this world. And mind you, this was not a Christian conference. One speaker, who's very wealthy, and wanted to remind the crowd of that fact, many times during his keynote, said this, quote, I have made a lot of money, but trust me, it's never going to be enough. Unquote. The other speaker spoke about their experience summiting Mount Everest. And when she got up to the top, she said this, quote, It was just okay. And all I thought about up there was now I got to come back down. Unquote. You know, whatever happiness that comes from accomplishing things in this world, great job, great project, great school, innovation, whatever it is, and it's not necessarily bad at all, to desire these things and to be successful in these things and to gain some measure of happiness and joy from these things. But the point is, when these things are desired above Christ, then there will never be true satisfaction. There will never be true joy, at least no joy that's unshakable. And Paul reminds us, everything done apart from faith in Christ is sin. Christ reminds us himself, apart from me, you can do nothing. Christ says himself, I'm the bread of life. Eat of me and be full. Some of you here are spiritually malnourished. Because you're not desiring his word. You know, his word is food for the soul. And rather than feasting on his word, you're feasting on other things. You know, we can literally entertain ourselves to death. We've gotten so comfortable. I mean, we leave our homes. Generally, it's about 72 degrees. We get into our cars. It's generally about 72 degrees. We get to our workplaces or even here. It's 
generally about 72 degrees. And we know when it's one degree off, don't we? We know. Comfortable isn't necessarily bad, but often being comfortable can lead to complacency. And complacency can lead to laziness. And laziness leads to desiring more things that make it more convenient for you. You know, why read God's Word? I can just watch YouTube. Why read? Such an antiquated activity to read. Such a waste of time. It takes too much time. God's Word, this Bible is just another book. I can find other books. And you know what? Those other books are more entertaining. Why read when I can just get the Cliff's Notes? Do those still exist? <laughs> I can just get the Cliff's Notes. Why engage my mind? Why read? Why write anything? Just ask Chat GPT. They'll write it for you. Oh, and some of you here this morning have yet to come to faith in Christ because your heart is still a heart of stone and you have no desire for the things of God. You have no desire for anything righteous or holy, much less His Word, and so come to Christ. Because He can make you alive. At His right hands are pleasures forevermore. In His presence is fullness of this joy we've been talking about for weeks. And you will experience a satisfaction you'd never felt before. You'd experience a joy that is supernatural, set apart from this world. You know, your entire faculties, your desires will be transformed and you will now want holy and righteous things. This is why Paul was able to say what he said in Philippians chapter 3, that he counted everything as loss in view of what? Not just for the sake of whatever. I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Now, he placed appropriate value on knowing Christ. Christ, why would we desire anything else? Because you can trust His Word. His Word is everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will never pass away. It is worthy to be desired. And this takes effort, dear church. And effort means hard work. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work For his good pleasure, the Bible doesn't give us any expectation that this would be easy. Paul said, Philippians 3, verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal of this world. No, toward the goal of for the upward prize of God in Christ Jesus. This is desiring. This is desiring. Desiring means being present where God's word is taught. Desiring means being here, being at evening service. We have one tonight. Sunday school, men's and women's ministries, home fellowship groups. You know what else desiring means? It means discipleship. You want to talk about that more a little bit later. Desiring means being disciplined. Setting aside time when you will read God's word. There's an intentionality to this. You know, if you're driving and you have some extended time on the road, you know what? You can redeem that time. 
listen to a sermon, even a number of great podcasts, or the Bible on audio, things that you can fill your mind with. The reality is, if something is important, then we will make time for it, don't we? If something's important, we're going to make time for it. And so is God's word important to you? And it's easy for me to stand up here, because I'm saying this to me too, by the way. It's easy for me to stand up here and say, yes, God's word should be important to you. And I think we can all agree, God's word should be important. However, do you desire his word above everything else? Because our hearts are a desire factory and it's going to desire something. You know, your hearts are not neutral. Their desires there, always present. And so our enemy, which by the way, his name means to come between. Right? Diabolos. Come between. Drive a wedge. Confuse. Block. That's what it means. So our enemy wants to do this between you and God's word. He wants to drive a wedge between you and God's word. He wants to block it. He wants to falsely accuse it. He wants to slander it. That's what he wants to do. And so, dear church, may your consuming desire to know and be more like Christ be so consuming. There is no room for anything else. There is no place for a wedge to be driven. May we be like Peter. John chapter 6, where else would I go? You have, Jesus, the words of eternal life. I don't want to go anywhere else. Where else would I go? Or dear church, he is desirable. His word is to be desired. It is, as the Bible would describe, sweeter than honey from a honeycomb. Much finer than fine gold. His word is perfect restores the soul. It makes wise the simple. It enlightens the eyes. It rejoices the heart. Our second point for this morning, we are to devour his word. Back to our text in Jeremiah 15, verse 16. It says there, your words were found and I ate them. I ate them. I found your word and I devoured them. I digested them. Just pause and think about that. In your own life. Do you devour the words of God? Do you find God's word and feast on it? See, devouring his word is what led Jeremiah to joy. Because joy is found in God's word. So back to our text. Look at it. Jeremiah says there, your words became for me a joy. You know, when you eat something really good, you tend to take your time with it, don't you? And the reason we do this is because we want to taste. I love food, right? So you want to taste all the flavors of that dish. When you take your time, you start tasting hints of things. You call them out. Call them out. When you eat a great baby back rib, oh, you start tasting it and paprika, I taste it. Honey, there's honey in there. Maybe even mustard. Onion powder, I taste in there. Maybe some Lowry's. Someone cheated. Put Lowry's in there. Okay? You start tasting these things. 
Like on those Food Network shows, you get the panel of judges. They're intentionally and slowly chewing on the dish. They appreciate different flavors and appreciate the dish even more now that they know all of what's in it. This is how we are to devour His Word. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, there's a parallel verse to this. You can find that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And the parallel verse says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. You know, there's many principles that exist here, and we'll discuss some of them. You know, neuroscience research states this, that it takes an average person seven times to be reminded of something before it is ingrained in them. I think I'm below average. (laughs) Specifically, if you ask my wife, I think she's like, I need to remind him a little bit more than seven times. Point of it is this, in order for the truth of God's word to richly dwell within you, you're going to need a steady intake of it. Steady intake of it. Much like our own physical diets, we know what happens. And this, this is what's, what's crazy. Is there so much seeking for definition and, oh, what do you mean? And, and, uh, and, and giving of context. In areas where there's common sense, we know what happens when we eat too much junk food. So I don't think anyone needs to define the physiological whatever happens, chemistry in your body, when you eat too much junk food and fatty foods. We get sick, we feel nauseous, we lack energy, we get lazy. On the other end, when we eat balanced meals, greens, proteins, carbs, we feel healthy, we feel energized. There's nothing magical here. You know, in all the mediums that God could have chose, and he could have chose different mediums to reveal himself to us, he chose to do it in written form. And so what that means is this. We have to read. We have to read. Another principle present here in these verses is the importance of being around other believers. Encouraging one another. Reminding one another. Reminding one another of the truths of His Word. This is so important that we are commanded even to be with one another. We're commanded to not forsake coming together. I remember talking to a young man. I was trying to encourage him and challenge him. So I asked him, what do you spend your time on? What do you spend your time on? Or rather, rather, who, who do you spend your time with? And he told me, why? Well, you know, I like hanging out. You know, I spend my time hanging out, going out. So I hang out with my church friends sometimes. And then I like to hang out with my non-Christian friends sometimes. So sometimes I'm with my Christian friends, and at other times I'm with my non-Christian friends. I said, okay, well, I certainly didn't say, well, no, you cannot hang out with non-Christians. That wasn't my message to him. But here was my encouragement to him. Because we were talking about Colossians 3.16. Letting the word of Christ dwell within you richly. And I said, here's what you'll find 
as you let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, here's what you're going to find. Is that your non-Christian friends will have nothing in common with you. Nothing in common with you. I'm not talking about, well, well, we like the same sports teams. No, no, no. Nothing in common with you that's of substance. And you will have nothing in common with them. You know, if you're a true believer, I told him, if you are a true believer, then your transformed heart has new and different affections. And you're going to realize soon that your unbelieving friends that you're with, they're not going to help you devour his word. Because they don't know it. Matter of fact, they don't want it. Matter of fact, if we believe what the Bible says, they are in enmity with it. They hate it. The thing you're wanting to love, the people you're around hate. Oh, may we be like David in Psalm 16, where when he talked about the saints, in other words, Christians, he said, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. David said, I delight in being with them. And you know, one of the best avenues for this is discipleship where you're taught God's word, reminded of God's word, encouraged of God's word, and it need be admonished in God's word. You know, if you are a member of this church or you are desiring to be a member of this church and aren't being discipled by anyone, then I would ask for you to come and talk to me. Because if you desire to know him more and if you desire to devour his word, then it would serve you well. It would serve you well to have someone come alongside you. And one of the manifestations that we are devouring His Word is that the fruit of the Spirit will be visible. Visible in our lives. And as we are filled with the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, self-control, goodness, kindness, patience, love, joy. Joy. You know, all this is accomplished through the Spirit's very role. We know what the Spirit's very role is, don't we? John chapter 14. He wants to magnify, make much of Christ. He wants to point us to Christ. He is the Spirit of truth. He will guide us into all truth. He, the Holy Spirit, He'll disclose His Word to you. We have a helper because He knows we can't do it on our own. So as you open up His Word, ask Him. Is your Desiring to devour his word, ask him to help you understand it. Ask him to help you meditate on it. Ask him to help you apply it. You know, one of the most helpful, just some practical things. One of the most helpful to me in Bible reading is to do the IOUs. IOUs before I start reading. This was an encouragement from John Piper when before... You open up God's word. You first ask him to incline my heart, O God. I, Psalm 119.36. And then you ask God to open my eyes. Psalm 119, verse 18. Then you ask God, teach me your ways. Psalm 86.11. And then you would ask that his word would satisfy Psalm 99, 14, I-O-U's. Turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. 
We are on the Emos Road, Luke chapter 24. As Christ reveals himself to Cleopas and other disciple, Luke chapter 24. Read with me verse 32. Luke 24, 32 says this, They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us. Passage after passage, the Bible is clear regarding the connection of our thoughts and affections. Okay? Thoughts and affections. In other words, our minds and our hearts. Bible's replete with connection with how we think and how that stirs our affections. So in this passage, Luke 24, what caught, let's ask, let's be Bible students. Okay, let's ask a question. What caused their hearts to burn? Well, it says there, the word being taught. The word being explained. You know, it wasn't anything mystic. It wasn't anything spontaneous. It wasn't even the music. No, it was reasoned from the mind, and then it affected the heart. J.I. Packer said this in his book, A Quest for Godliness, quote, Man was made to know God with his mind, to desire it. Once he has come to know it with his affections and to cleave to it, once he has felt its attraction with his will, God accordingly moves us, not by direct action on the affections or will, but by addressing our mind with his word, and so bringing to bear on us the force of truth. Unquote. You see why this is the only thing we need to desire. You see why this is the only thing we need to devour. Devouring his word is setting our minds on the things of above. Devouring his word is fixing our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And devouring his his word is no longer being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so some practical, again, practical applications before we move on to our final point. Inherent in devouring his word, is reading all of his word. Back to Luke 24. Read verse 27. It says there, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he took these two, he took them, Christ, to Genesis and Isaiah, Leviticus, Kings, Deuteronomy, Psalms, showing how his whole story reveals his glory. So your joy, dear saints, it becomes more whole. The more we read the Bible whole, whole chapters, whole books, whole testaments. And when you find yourself drudging through Leviticus, you know, as you read it more and more and more, you will see. It is filled with Christ's word types. It is, it is filled. You can see it. You can even hear whispers of the gospel. You will see the sacrificial system. You will see the first fruit offerings that when you read now in the New Testament, you come to the realization that those things find their meaning and fulfillment ultimately in Christ. Oh, and your hearts are going to be lit up. 
And this blaze will be lit by the Spirit in your hearts. And if you can pause and use our sanctified imaginations for a second. Sanctified imaginations for just one moment. Then Leviticus becomes the logs. They become the logs used for this flame to burst forth. And this is so much more than the proverbial light bulb turning on. Okay? This is so much, so much more than that. No, because your life will be transformed by these truths. This is not some just gee whiz information that you can spout off and then forget about. You'll start viewing the world and all that happens within it through the Bible. Your worldview shifts. Your convictions start building. All of a sudden, things you never resisted before, you start resisting, like laziness. Oh, and he will be most glorified. That's sanctification, dear church. This is how God grows you. And since we're talking about Leviticus, you know what else Leviticus reminds us of? It reminds us that whatever it is this world is celebrating this month, God calls it in Leviticus an abomination. He calls it detestable. God in Leviticus calls this wicked. He calls it disgusting. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we need more definition on how God feels about what the world is celebrating this month. You know, another practical application? Slowing down. Slowing down. Slow down when you read. Resist, dear church, what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls sentimental reading. Quote, There are many people who read the scriptures in a purely sentimental manner. They are in trouble and they do not know what to do. They say, I will read a psalm. It is so soothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. They make it a kind of incantation and take the Psalms as another person takes a drug. Unquote. You know, when I drop my girls off to school, they have a couple days left. I know they're excited for the summer. But when I drop them off to school, we drive the same path all the time. We drive the same path all the time. Left on Club Center, right on Natomas Boulevard, left on Mabry, left on Rockmont. Every time. Same path. But one day, it was kind of a, I guess, flexible morning, if you will. And so I decided to go for a run, a jog, and I thought, I'm going to jog the same path. I'm going to jog the same path I've driven for these years as I dropped my girls off to school. And the amount of detail not known to me or noticed by me while driving through the same streets, now made very visible as I'm jogging past it. So you know I'm going slow, right? (laughs) I'm jogging slow. Interesting decor on homes. I'm noticing certain different landscaping. I'm noticing which homes, oh, they they got a new fence. I still need a new fence. That home got a new fence. I'm noticing paint colors. I'm noticing vinyl siding. I'm... Noticing, ooh, they got, a new, uh, they got a new car. Many more details that I never noticed driving by. You know, when you slow down, 
letting His Word richly dwell within you, the Spirit will begin to illuminate your minds. How many times? Because this is how it works. How many times have you read a passage of Scripture and said to yourself, I've read this so many times and I've never seen that before? I trust that's happened to you. Oh, all of Scripture is inspired by God. And that includes conjunctions and prepositions and definite articles and adjectives and pronouns. Not that we need to know the names of those parts of speech. A star jasmine without a name still smells just as sweet. Still smells just as sweet. We can't enjoy them, however, if you don't notice them. And noticing calls for an unhurried pace. So we are to desire His Word. We are to devour His Word. And this leads us to our last point for this morning. It leads us to delighting in His Word. So back to our text in Jeremiah 15, verse 16. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. This, dear saints, reminds us the only source of joy that is everlasting and eternal. A joy that will supersede any momentary affliction. A joy that will outlast any worldly happiness. A joy that is unshakable. You know, we're commanded to delight. We're actually commanded to do this. You know, I want to read a few verses. I actually just want you to sit. Sit and listen and, and chew on this. I'm going to read a few verses. And I want you to take it in and observe, right, what's being said. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Psalm 43, 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. Psalm 70, verse 4. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. And lastly, Psalm 63, 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So those last two texts show something very crucial. Okay? So I'm intentionally slowing down here because I don't want us to miss this. So the last two texts, Psalm 70 verse 4, Psalm 63 verse 3. One says that when you love God's salvation, you don't mainly say God's salvation is awesome. No, what you say is God is awesome. The other verse when you experience the steadfast love, the loving kindness of the Lord, you don't mainly say, my lips will praise your loving kindness. No, what you will say is, my lips will praise you. In other words, in all of these texts, the command is to delight in God Himself. Delight in Him, not His gifts. You delight in Him. And all other blessings we enjoy should lead us back to God himself. Because he knows, I'm your fullest satisfaction. 
Oh, seek first his kingdom, dear church. And while these are commands, his commands are not burdensome. For those who trust in Christ, he tells us his yoke is easy. He says, my burden is light. And realize the only reason, the only reason, dear church, that you are able to delight in him is because he delighted in you first. For I, for you have been called by his name, Jeremiah says. You know, did you know that? That God delights in you? Sometimes it may not feel that way. But God delights in you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. God the Father delighted in you so much that he sent his son, the righteous branch whom Jeremiah prophesied of from the line of David who would live the perfect life none of us could live, who would die the sacrificial death none of us would be qualified to do this. Jesus who would lose none of of, of what the Father had given him, perfectly obedient, desired glory of the Father in whom the Father himself is well pleased in. This Jesus himself is called in John chapter 1. The Word. We're His children called by Him. He has spoken to us and you, if you just look around you in the world today at all of creation and realize the God who formed creation, the God who spoke and creation came into be, through whom Christ all things were made both in the heavens and the earth, this Christ in whom all things hold together, this God has called you by name. And he speaks to you through his word. And so we are to eat them. We are to digest them. We are to meditate on them. We are to memorize them. May his word be to you a joy and a delight of your heart. So as we conclude this morning, I want to refer back to one of the speakers that I heard earlier this week as he talked about climbing and summiting Mount Everest. It was real. It was interesting, very interesting. You know, it's easy for you to sit there because you think to yourself, "I'm so not interested in doing this because I don't want to do this." But the information being given is is neat. Right? It's interesting. It takes approximately two months to climb Mount Everest, and the first step is to climb approximately ten thousand feet, and that's what's called base camp. You may think. That's just base camp, 10,000 feet. 10,000 feet, that's base camp. From there, there's five successive points that get you to 29,035 feet. And that's the summit. So 10,000 feet base camp, five successive points, 29,035 feet. That's the summit of Mount Everest. So when the climber leaves base camp, gets to point one, that's 20,000 feet. One would think, yeah. You get to point one, time to go to point two. No. They get to point one, turn around, trek back to base camp. They stay in base camp for a couple weeks, go back. Treks back up to point one, then point two, 22,000 feet. Then, trek to point three, no. Go back down to base camp. Wait a few weeks, this is why it takes two months. Climber then treks back up, point one. Then point two, now point three, 26,000 feet. And then 
goes back down to base camp. Remember, the summit is 29,000 feet. You're at 26,000 feet. You can actually see it now. But you've got to turn around, go back down to base camp. Why not keep going? Why go through all this? You would think you just climb all the way. But no. Because at this altitude, the human body was not created to function normally. There's so much air and altitude pressure that if you figure, if we just got helicoptered straight up there and they dropped us off right at the summit, your head would literally explode. And so going back to base camp, the climber builds resistance, builds strength, gets nutrients in their body so that when they do climb, whatever the challenges they face, they can successfully overcome them. Dear church, the word of God is our base camp. You need to always come back to it. Never stray far from it. The word became flesh. Christ always is always with you. He will he'll never let you go. You can have great confidence that as you desire to walk a life of obedience and holiness and righteousness, that you can. Through the strength that he provides, you can put sin to death, whereas you were never able to do that before. You can experience victory where you were never able to do that before. You are no longer enslaved to sin. Through Christ, those shackles have been removed. Think of Christ himself, fully reliant on the scriptures to overcome temptations. Learning to put to death a lust habit. Learning to put to death a laziness habit. Learning to put to death and blunt a sharp tongue. You can do it. Because God is at work in you. And the way God works in you is through the instruction of His Word. His Word that you have treasured in your heart. And the psalmist says that I might not sin against Him. You know, we live in a self-esteem age. This is nothing new. Where we are taught, indoctrinated even, to believe we can do it all on our own. That if I just believe in myself, the reality though is if it were left to us, we would lose already. Martin Luther said this, quote, If one thread of the cloak of my salvation depends on me, it's unraveled at the start. Unquote. That's true. But if you are in Christ, then his word promises. You can promise, his, his promise to you is this, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will perfect it until the day of Christ, Philippians 1.6. Delighting in Him, delighting in His Word, dear Christian, is what will allow you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to be fully pleasing to Him. Delighting in Him will allow for you to bear fruit in every good work. Delighting in Him will, will, will allow for you to increase in knowledge of Him. It will be your strength. And you will grow in endurance. You will grow in patience. And the fuel for all of this, as Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 tells us, is joy. Joy is the fuel. Nehemiah 8, 10. Just write it down. Nehemiah 8, 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, this is how Jesus was able to endure the cross. Did you know that? This is how Jesus was able to endure the cross. Hebrews 12.2 tells us, for it was 
the joy set before him. Joy. This joy, dear Christian, can be yours. By desiring his word, by devouring his word, by delighting in his word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for this kind of relationship to your word. That we would find your word daily and feast on your word. God, that we would find your word daily and feast on it day and night. We would eat it, digest it, soak it in. That we would enjoy it. We would savor it. Oh, we pray, God, that you would wean us off of the stuff of this world that dulls our tastes for your word. I confess, even now, how prone I am to spend time scrolling through a screen or watching this or that in ways that dull my desire for your word. Your word, that which brings true life. And so, Lord, may your word be that joy and the delight of our hearts. And we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.